Amen. You know, God is so good to us. He's blessed us so much. And um, I know that uh, each of us are, are, are just wonderful, doing great. I'm, I'm thankful for what God has done for each of us this past year. And um, I'm excited about Christmas. I'm excited about what God is going to show us. Um, this morning, if you have your Bible and want to open up, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7 for a little bit, and then there's a couple of other verses that we're going to use. But, um, you know, we talk about Jesus and, and Him being incarnated, and really what that means is incarnated means incarnate or in flesh, okay? So when we use the word incarnation, we're talking about Jesus coming God coming to earth through Jesus in the flesh, okay? And so uh, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about the gift of presence. And, um, you know, the incarnation of God's Son coming to earth demonstrates what great lengths that, that God will go in order to be involved with His creation and to be fully present, and, um, you know, God's not distant, he's not aloof, he's not out there just, um, you know, away from us. God has made his intention of his presence known to us. We see that in Jesus Christ, and it's sensible uh, as Christmas quickly approaches uh, to consider the life-changing implications of Jesus becoming flesh um, you know, one misconception about God is that he is aloof, that he's different, that he's distant. And some people might view God as, as being, um, you know, a, a judge, an um, intimidating judge, uh, just waiting to, to, to throw the book at you. Or some people just view him as, you know, the God, the guy upstairs, you know, the man upstairs. And so in that, we look at that, and, and I just want you to hear what I have to say right here. Your view, how you view God, greatly affects how you approach him. If you think of God as an intimidating judge, then you might, you might come before him with intrepidation and, and fear. Just, just kind of, uh, you know, if you view God as the man upstairs, maybe there's not, he, that's not reverent enough. Maybe, if, you know, you're just viewing him as a buddy. But the thing is, is, is when we view God in his holiness, when we view God in his love for us, we approach him in a different way than, than if we view them, him in other ways. So your view of God greatly affects how you will approach him. And, and, I want you to understand that the incarnation lays to rest the misconception that God is not involved in people's lives. He's absolutely involved in people's lives. Let me, let me pray, and then we'll, we're going to get started here. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming to earth. I thank you for being fully God and fully man. I thank you that... You came and gave your life for each one of us. What a great gift. What a wonderful gift that you've given us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would guide us in this time, in this moment. Guide us to the truth. Father, I thank you for your word. Guide us as we seek you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know this morning, I'd like to invite you um, to look with me at a very well-known prophecy 
uh, from the Old Testament. And, and it's well known because it's a passage that we often consider during the Christmas season. And, and as we look at it together, I, I would especially like you to consider the gradual unfolding significance, if you will, of this prophecy. And this particular prophecy involves a promise that God made through the prophet Isaiah. Made this promise through the prophet Isaiah to a king in, in the southern uh, kingdom of Judah named Ahaz. Now, King Ahaz was in a tight spot. He was in a tight situation because two northern kingdoms were, were forming an alliance, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Syria, and they were, they were forming an alliance and, and joining with a very um, uh, powerful and dreaded nation of Assyria. And, and, and strengthened by this alliance, these two kings of Israel and Syria were um, plotting to make war against Jerusalem. I'm just giving you some background here. Now, the threat of this coming war, uh, according to the Bible, made the people of Judah move, as it says in, in Isaiah uh, 7, 1 and 2, as the trees of the, of the woods are moved with the wind. In other words, these people were shaking in their boots. They knew something terrible was coming. But the Lord, however, he commanded Isaiah to meet Ahaz and to encourage him not to fear the kings of Israel and Syria. And the, and the Lord was promising that, um, <laughs> that their plot would not stand, that God was not going to allow that, and, and that within 65 years, the two hostile northern kingdom of Israel and, and those nations would be broken and would cease to be a people. And, and I think this is huge because to assure Ahaz of the truth of the promise of God um, through Isaiah, he invited him to ask for a sign. This is huge. God asked Ahaz, King Ahaz, if he would like a sign, if he wanted a sign. And, and, but Ahaz, in a display of kind of false humility, he refused to do so. And so God himself offered a sign with these words in Isaiah 7, 14 and following. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. So I just want to consider this promise in just a little bit more detail. The Hebrew word that Isaiah uses here for the virgin is halma, halma. And, and this particular word is a word that someone would use to describe a young virgin who was about to become married. Okay, halma. And, and as we read on into the next chapter of Isaiah, we find that the prophet did indeed take a woman, a prophetess, who through him bore a son. And apparently this promise was made while this young woman was truly still a virgin. And the son that the prophetess bore, that she gave birth to, was given the name Maher Shalal Hash Baz. Wow, that's quite a name, isn't it? A name that means quick to plunder, swift to the spoil. And it was, he was a sign given to Ahaz to show that these threatening nations, these threatening enemies, would indeed forsake their lands in a very short amount of time. 
In fact, as the Lord says, they would forsake their lands before the child was old enough to know the difference between right and wrong. Now that's the immediate context, historical significance of that prophecy. But clearly, it has a forward-looking significance as well. And this is shown in that the prophetess would give the child a different name than Maher Salal Hash Baz, okay? I mean, who could blame her? I'd want to give it a different name too. That's kind of a big name tag to hang on that kid, isn't it? You know, the, the prophecy says that she shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. And it's a name that was intended to communicate great encouragement, great hope to God's threatened covenant people. And as we read on, we clearly see that the symbolic significance of the promised child named Emmanuel extends further than the immediate concerns of King Ahaz. It, it transforms down in through time. And, and, and all of the land of Judah, for example, is referred to in, in Isaiah 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 8. Your land, O Emmanuel. But that the foreign nations that threatened Judah would not stand because God is with us. See, the far-reaching significance of this is best shown in Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. If you have your scripture and want to turn there, it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I love that. Do you see it here? That the child that was promised to Isaiah through his bride-to-be was a real child, but it was also a sign, a type, if you will, of another who was yet to be born. Yes, it was happening right now in front of them, but there's also the prophecy that is to come. And I love that because Isaiah saw the immediate intention of this prophecy. But he was also shown the far distant promise that it held. And the fulfillment of that promise is described for us in this morning's passage from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 1, verse 18 and following. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not willing to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, she shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep 
did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh, in human flesh, became one of us. Yet he remained fully God and fully man so that he could be fully present with us. And because of the incarnation, God understands us and can relate to us. See, God is not distant. He's not way out there in the, in the universe somewhere. He's here with us. And I, I love that because he is involved. And it's a good exercise at Christmas to consider the implications of this incarnation. See, the great incarnation was God's gift of presence with us. I don't mean presence, things that come from the store. I mean his being, his person is with us. That God is with us because of the incarnation. And that is the ultimate present that we could have at Christmas time, is for God to be with us. I mean, what are the implications of this reality? There's two important facts I want to share with you. The first fact is this, is that God cares about a relationship with us. God cares about a relationship with us. See, he got involved and he stepped into the middle of human history. He stepped right into the middle of the human, uh, humanity's story. And, and you, you, we read that in, in this chapter in, in Matthew. And, and it talks about how um, you know, God was the one who intervened here. God was the one who did this. Initially, uh, Joseph didn't want to accept Mary as his wife. I mean, he was likely assuming some relational unfaithfulness. However, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord reveals that God is the one who formed this baby. Not someone else, not some other man. God is the one who formed this baby, who will be the Savior of the world. I mean, what an announcement. I mean, he's thinking that his engagement, his fiance, had been unfaithful to him. And he doesn't want to disgrace her publicly. He doesn't want to marry her until the angel of the Lord says, listen, the Holy Spirit is the one who created this baby in Mary. Hmm. Wow. Eventually, Joseph accepted um, this message to be true and he continued his uh, betrothed relationship even despite the ridicule that he would receive from the Jewish community. I mean, why is it so difficult to accept the fact that God took the initiative to pursue us and restore our relationship with him? For some reason, we can't wrap our mind around that, that the creator of all things, that the, the one who created everything that we can see, wants to have a relationship with you and with me. He desires that. I mean, why is it so hard to believe that God cares about little old me? See, we don't give God enough credit, enough glory for the things that he does in our lives. 
I mean, God is awesome. God does, does so many things in our lives. And many times we just look over it and we, we say, well, that worked out. Or, man, that was lucky. Or we credit it to everything but God. Everything else. We say, well, it just worked out, whatever. But, you know, many times over the years, I want to say that God has shown me that he cares about me. And I know this. My God is faithful. My God is faithful. I mean, I don't know a lot, but I know that God cares about me and he cares for me and that he's faithful. Even when I'm not faithful, he's faithful to me. You know, just by way of of an illustration, for instance, there's been many times where I've been working on a vehicle or, you know, I'm, I'm having a rotten time getting a, a bolt out or trying to figure something out. And, and uh, Tracy tells me that I have a lot of patience. I may have worked on it for hours trying to get that one thing out. And I don't always feel patient. But anyway, countless times I've been struggling with something and asked God for wisdom and some help. Lord, I need a little help right here. And every single time, without fail, He has given me the answer that I needed to move forward. I mean, God cares about us. He cares about the little things in our life. He cares about the big things in our life. He cares about the details. He cares about, he cares for us. See, God initiated our relationship by coming to us. He didn't wait for us to come to him. He initiated the relationship by coming to us first and this is big because on our own we may not come to God but the fact of the matter remains that he came to us seeking that relationship with us I mean it's an ongoing theme throughout the Bible I mean as soon as humanity as soon as man sinned God began the process of reconciliation God began the process of restoring our relationship to him. You know, this point is made even in in God's word in Genesis chapter 3. We read about the fall of man. We understand that there was uh, a couple of trees that God said, do not eat the fruit of these trees. You can eat of everything else. And you know what? We only want what we can't have. And so they took of the tree of, of good and evil, of, of a tree of knowledge, and so they ate of that. And, and all of a sudden, Adam and Eve knew that they were naked. Nobody told them they were naked. They knew that they were naked because now they had eaten of the tree of knowledge. And so what happens is, is they begin to sow fig leaves and, 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 and cover themselves up, and, and they hear God in the garden walking. And so they go hide from him and the first thing that God says to them is he called out to the man and he said where are you where are you God was the one initiating the the relationship they went to hide but he was calling them out saying where are you and then we also read about in Genesis 12 the call of Abraham it says then the Lord God said to Abraham and he, he wanted to, to, he revealed his plan that he had to, to bless all people 
all the people of the world through his redemptive act. And see, that plan unfolds throughout Scripture and culminates with Jesus coming to the earth. See, the incarnation shows God cares so much about that relationship with us that he pursues us and he took the initiative to re-engage and rescue us. When we couldn't do anything on our own, while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. The second fact is that we are never alone. We are never alone. Imagine everything that Joseph was processing emotionally. Going from a very high point in his life, you know, considering marriage and and, and finding a bride and and, and all of the wonderful things that, that go with that. Going from a very high point in life to a confusing low point. It seems as one day everything was wiped away. Have you ever been there? Where you thought you were on top of the world and all of a sudden now you're buried? That's what Joseph was going through. Being outcast by his fellow Jewish community. Even more so because he was a good Jewish man following the law. Even having feelings of being lonely and for an extended period of time. But it was in the context of that loneliness that God makes his holy presence available to everyone. Imagine the moment when Joseph first holds the baby Jesus. I mean, he's got him in his arms. He's looking at him. He recognizes that Jesus is going to be the savior of the world. He's holding that baby, looking at him, just in in, in just... Almost disbelief, but it's like God is here with us. You know, it's more common to see paintings of of Mary and Jesus. But what does this painting communicate about Jesus' earthly father, Joseph? I mean, it communicates a lot. God is near to us. Can you imagine after Jesus was born and He's holding that baby and he recognized that this is God in the flesh. He's going to be the savior of the world. You know, when you think of God, do you think of God as being far off, as being way distant? Or do you think of God as having an active presence, deeply involved in your life? See, the way we approach God The way our view of God affects how we approach him. And so what difference would it make if you believed that God was near? Like right here, right now. St. Patrick's Christ with me prayer goes like this. It says, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. See, 700 years before Jesus came on the scene, 
the prophet Isaiah mentioned very precise details about the incarnation in Isaiah 7, which Matthew echoes in Matthew 1, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Sent for the purpose of rescuing us, you and me, from our sin and from ourselves. See, the incarnation is wonderfully unique to Christianity. (laughs) Our God came to us. Our God came to us. The creator became part of the creation. God is an up-close, intimate Savior and Lord. And, And folks, this is amazing. Amazement is an appropriate response to God being with us. I mean, you think about this. The shepherds, all who heard the shepherds' report of the angelic message were amazed. They were amazed. Oh, when was the last time you were amazed that God is with us? Oh, God is with us. Jesus coming to earth in the flesh demands a response from us. I mean, one of the saddest moments in the account of the birth of Jesus is when there is no room at the inn for Mary, Joseph, and the soon-to-be-born Christ child. But I submit to you this morning that many people today still have no room for Jesus. Many people today still have no room for Jesus. So this Christmas, you have an opportunity to make room for Jesus. Set aside time to consider the, the applications of the, of the incarnation. You know, spend time praising God for sending his son. Consider various parts of your life that, 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 that acknowledge that God desires to be present and involved in them. There may be areas where we've just said no to Jesus, that we don't want him in that area. And what we need to do is we need to repent of that and we need to allow him to be the Lord of our life. See, this morning I've just touched on, on God coming to us in the flesh. Are you amazed that the creator of all things put on flesh and got intimately involved in his creation? Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, demonstrates how God is involved with creation. I mean, Jesus has come as as God incarnate, as God in the flesh. And Jesus has come to redeem those who put their faith in him. Never buy into the lie. Never, never buy into the lie that God is distant and doesn't care. God offers you a relationship with himself through his son, Jesus. Man, what an offer. What an offer. See, we are all sinners, and we all are in need of a savior. Jesus means savior, and Emmanuel means God with us. You and I, We need both. We need a Savior, and we also need God with us. 
We need to be saved from our sins. And the only way that that happened was for our Savior to leave heaven and come to earth. And I love that. And he lives among us. And, And that's what Christmas is all about. Is Jesus coming to earth, being born here of a virgin. Growing up, living a sinless life. And giving his life as a ransom for many as he died on the cross for your sin and mine. See, the Savior is now among us. The Savior is among us. And you too can be adopted into God's family by receiving the gift of his son right now. God gives you the biggest, greatest, ultimate present you could ever have, which is his presence with you. God with us. I'm going to ask our worship team if they will will come back up here. As I wrap this up, I want to read from John chapter 1. It says, but as many as received him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Oh, If you're ready to receive the best Christmas present ever, you can pray this prayer with me. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. And I want to turn from the way that I've been living. Thank you that you are Emmanuel. And I ask that you would be my Savior. I desire to live under your lordship in my life. Lord Jesus, please come into my life. I want to be adopted into your family. Make me into the person you want me to be and thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you're going to do in my life. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, asking Jesus to come into your heart is that simple. If you've never, ever done that, All I can do is encourage you to ask Jesus to come into your heart. What a great gift at Christmas time. This incredible offer of salvation and hope is available to you today. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing together. And the invitation is simply this. If you've never acknowledged Jesus as your Savior and Lord and you want to do that, This morning, I invite you to come. I'm going to be standing right down here. If you want to do that, you come. Maybe you're here, you want to follow the Lord in baptism. You come. Maybe you want to become part of this church, the membership of this fellowship. You you come this morning. Or maybe you just recognize there's, there's areas of your life that you need to give to him. And so you just want to come and lay that at his feet. I invite you to come and pray. Would you do that? I'm going to invite you now to stand with me. You come as we sing.